Okay, we're here with William Boyd. William is professor of law at UCLA School of Law and a professor at the UCLA Institute of Environment and Sustainability. He's written a number of influential articles at the intersection of energy and climate. Today we want to talk about two of them that focus on the regulation of energy markets. His 2014 UCLA Law Review article entitled Public Utility and the Low Carbon Future and a related piece on which he is currently working called The Art of Fixing Prices. William, thanks for sitting down. Oh, thanks. Delighted to be here. So in both of these pieces, you discuss the ways in which public utility regulation has taken a beating in intellectual circles over the years, including especially among public choice economists, but also among others. And both of these articles kind of push back a little bit against some of those criticisms, while at the same time acknowledging some validity to them. Uh, can you start out by explaining the way you uh, you frame that history? Sure. So <clears throat> the basic kind of objective in, in the first article, Public Utility in the Low Carbon Future, and to some extent something I pick up in the artifacts and prices and some other projects, is to recover what I see as a broader normative commitment or impulse that was at the heart of the original concept of public utility that really emerged out of the MUN line of cases and was developed by institutional economists and others in the early part of the 20th century in the progressive area. And the key point here for me is that for these, uh, these um, <coughs> thinkers, public utility is not really a, a thing or a type of enterprise, but a broad normative undertaking directed at harnessing private enterprise and directing it toward public ends. And so it's very much about the social control of business it's about protecting consumers from uh, powerful monopolies. Um, and I think it's also about uh, creating new ways of trying to govern the economy. And so there was a, also a deep commitment to experimentalism at the heart of public utility. We have lost sight of that in some respects in the face of, of, of many of the criticisms. But that whole critique, I think, of public utility regulation thinned out and diminished the concept of public utility, and I think as we think about decarbonization and the low-carbon future, there's a lot of merit in going back to the older, sort of broader concept of public utility and, and thinking about how we can mobilize that uh, for the task ahead. In both of these articles, uh, you deal with the transition that's taken place over the last few decades from traditional cost of service regulation in the public utility industries to an increased reliance on competition and markets. Uh, and you have a, a point to make about the way we think about markets uh, and their value. Uh, it really alludes to what you said a second ago about using public utility regulation to harness competition, not using competition as an end in and of itself. Can you just give us a little sense of how you frame that issue in, in these pieces? Sure, yeah. So I think <clears throat> the critique of public utility regulation which coalesced in the late 60s and, and 1970s, really drew on a lot of criticisms that had been apparent from the beginning. It's not like the proponents of public utility regulation in the progressive era didn't understand the challenges and the problems. They certainly understood the challenge and the problem of capture. They understood that there were perverse incentives embedded in cost of regulation. And they understood in some cases that natural monopoly may not be a fixed or stable category. But that critique, if you will, or those kind of various strands of criticisms really 
didn't really coalesce into a sustained critique until the 1970s, and part of that was driven by the current crisis in the economy and with public utilities in general, particularly with electricity, um, that was happening during that decade. And so this then prepares the ground for deregulation or, I think more appropriately, restructuring of these different industries. And as I point out in this second piece, the art of fixing prices, a lot of the blueprint for restructuring came from contestable market theory. So while the Chicago public choice critique of public utility was important, I think, in pointing out some of the problems with economic regulation, it really didn't provide much of a blueprint for how you would go about this. And I think the contestable market theorists provide a better blueprint for how we've thought about restructuring in both natural gas and electricity, where we essentially unbundle certain components of the industry and subject those to competition, particularly those that where we can relax barriers to entry and exit, and then impose open access requirements on transmission and transportation and infrastructure. And that's basically the model that FERC pursued. And I think FERC assumed, and many of the proponents of restructuring assumed that competition would emerge and would discipline prices and correct for the pathologies of rate regulation and ensure that prices were just and reasonable. And I think I show in the in both pieces, but really in the art of fixing prices, that that turned out to be a much harder uh, or much more complicated task than people recognized in the beginning. And particularly in electricity, I think FERC has struggled to some to some extent with uh, the challenges of managing and regulating these markets. And it's also a po it's also a political uh, project as well, isn't it? Absolutely. So I, I think, you know, part of the point uh, that I'm trying to make in this new piece, Art of Fixing Prices, is that markets are inherently political and that we have made a mistake in assuming that these markets could be insulated from politics and that we need to recognize that markets and competition are also tools to advance the public interest and we need to find governance mechanisms that can harness the power of competition uh, and direct it toward public ends. And so I think that's very consistent with, uh, with the, the normative impulse behind public utility uh, from the beginning. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about the ways in which the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission's uh, understanding of the value of markets uh, and of prices and price signals has influenced the development of competitive gas and electricity markets, something you describe in The Art of Fixing Prices? All right, so the key, the key point I'm trying to make in the art of fixing prices is looking at the different ways of making prices or the different technologies and techniques that are used to form prices in these different markets. And so I'm looking specifically at price indexes in the natural gas markets and at the auctions and algorithms at the heart of the organized electricity markets. And my argument is that FERC and other proponents of restructuring have not really attended carefully to these actual ways of price making, that we have some, in some ways our attention has been deflected uh, from, from these, these actual techniques of price making, and that we have tended to focus, you know, on markets and prices in the way that economists conceive of markets and prices without getting into the actual infrastructure of these markets, and I think that I'm trying to show in this paper is, is a mistake that FERC is struggling with price formation in these markets today in part because it hasn't paid sufficient attention to the price indexes in natural gas and to the ways in which prices are made in, in the electricity markets. Yeah, one of the things I really like about this more recent paper is the, you really dive into the weeds of, of those processes and 
uh, offer the reader a really interesting description of how those how those things happen to the extent we can understand them because they're to a certain extent they're opaque, right? That's right. Uh, the, the price indices are how they're formed is not really available to the public or to FERC. Right. Now the algorithms, um, are, some of them are proprietary as well as you note in the paper and. Um, but more, more to the point, they're really, really complicated and, and um, you know, just very difficult for anyone, including regulators, to understand. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the point of, of the paper as well, is that we, um, we make a mistake, I think, if we operate at a level of abstraction that just thinks about markets and prices and competition and don't really understand the mechanics of how things work in practice. And, and as a regulator, I think FERC has a certain obligation to try to do more in that respect. But we also, I think, have an obligation to try to do more and understand this. And I, I think part of the critique of kind of economistic thinking has tended to operate at a level of abstraction that ultimately is not that helpful. So I don't think we need more reminders that free markets are an illusion, for example. I don't think we need more reminders that the legal realists got right that all markets are ultimately legal institutions and that there are political uh, influences throughout. Um, what I do think we need to do is get more concrete, and here is where I think the institutional economists actually provide a good example and some more contemporary work does as well because it's at that level of how things actually work in the economy, how these markets actually work in practice, that politics actually plays a pretty important role. And so I think we see now in these very technical exercises in the electricity markets, for example, within the RTOs and the ISOs, there's a whole bunch of rent-seeking behavior going on. And so the idea that we could somehow protect <clears throat> markets from politics, I think, has been shown to be um, untrue. Uh, and we realized that you know the same type of rent-seeking that we were worried about with regulation and that we thought competition would solve, in fact, has re-emerged in the process of market design uh, in the RTO and the ISO markets, which doesn't mean we should abandon markets. It just means we need to be realistic about what markets can do and recognize that there are political choices that have to be made and that there is no pre-political set of criteria that we can appeal to in designing these markets and allowing them to, to work in certain ways. Yeah, this, I think this point uh, really in, uh, is relevant to the green transition as well, in the sense that a lot of our a lot of uh, proponents of green energy or renewable energy have been highly critical of the traditional vertically integrated inv investor-owned utility model because they've seen traditional utilities as impediments to growth of renewables, and they'll point at a state like Texas where there's very little barriers to entry and an open market, an open a competitive market, and, and, say, and say, look how much you know, wind is being developed in Texas, therefore the competitive market is the way to go. Um, I think both of these papers, but particularly the latter one, show that, that it's not that simple. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I don't, I don't think that one can say that the cost of service model is always inferior to competitive markets when it comes to promoting renewable energy. And I think you can look at the history of policy supports for renewable energy in this country and recognize that we've had government intervention all the way down. Um, it is certainly true that as you, as you, as renewables come down in cost and <clears throat> are bidding into these markets at zero and even negative prices. Um, they are obviously very competitive with other resources, and that's a great thing. But in cost of service regimes, I can certainly promote renewables as well. I can re require my utilities to procure more and more renewables. And so I guess what I'm trying to say is that the models themselves 
um, don't necessarily favor one set of resources over the other. Um, it's all ultimately in how we design and use those models. And I think that varies in both cases. And so I don't think we should assume that markets are somehow out there doing their work without us really being involved in the design and, and maintenance of those markets and making them do certain things. And in both settings, the traditional cost of service regulation and the more open competitive markets, you still have behind the scenes or sitting there the public utility law and the obligation to pursue the public interest and that rates be just and reasonable. Uh, and, and in your first piece, the older piece at UCLA, you're making an argument that that sense of what is in the public interest ought to be conceived of more broadly than it has traditionally in uh, public utility law. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, that's part of the challenge, I think, and, and, and the need to recover this broader normative impulse at the heart of public utility and recognize that public utility is not a thing or a type of enterprise, but this broader normative undertaking. And I would argue that that applies regardless of, of whether you have a, a private investor-owned utility, a public municipal utility, or a market construct where you have a lot of generators, merchant generators, and others that are competing with each other. I think in all cases, we're talking about a system of provisioning for economic necessities, and that's long been the domain of public utility, and we shouldn't lose sight of that. that we're not talking about commodities that really don't matter to our everyday life. We're talking about the fundamental infrastructure for how we get on with our daily lives, and that provides, I think, a platform for the rest of, of the economy and much of the rest of the economy. And so because of that, I think we do need to pay very close attention to the governance question. Uh, and I think we can't just assume that once we open the doors to, to competition and markets that these things are going to they're going to work, right? We have to tend to them carefully. They are fragile in the same way that regulation is. They are vulnerable in the same way that regulation is. And in both cases, I think we need to be clear about what it is we are trying to use the tools of competition and markets to do or regulation on the regulation side. We're never going to get around right, this need to make a collective political choice about the kind of future we want for the electric power system and the trade-offs involved in all of that. In making that decision, right, we're going to have to make hard choices between, as you point out in multiple uh, different writings you've done, reliability, affordability, and, and, and environment. Um, and those are choices that are going to be made in different ways in different geographies. I recognize that climate change is an existential threat, and we need to be thinking very hard about how to rapidly decarbonize our power sector. But we need to also think about how we're going to do it in an orderly way and recognize that there is real pain in some of these transitions for some communities and, and for certain sectors. Um, and I do think that's going to get worked out in different ways in different places. In some ways, the fragmented, kind of decentralized uh, model of utility and uh, energy regu electricity regulation we have in the U.S. may be a certain advantage or provide certain advantages to that. Um, I don't think that um, we have necessarily kind of figured it out in California. Um, I think California has made great strides uh, in supporting renewables and pushing for renewables very aggressively. Um, in many respects, it's blessed with a lot of renewable resources and provides kind of the birthplace for the renewable sector, renewable for the renewable energy industry. Um, but California has very expensive power, and it's an issue, uh, and that is going to continue to be an issue. And so um, the question is, how fast can we move and at what cost? And I think we need to kind of all step back and realize that those are, those are questions that are going to require real choices and real dialogue, I think, between the different parties. Yeah, what I, and what I like about these two pieces together is that you, you, you sort of urge, not sort of, you do urge 
uh, regulators to just embrace the sort of political nature of these choices and to you know, step back from the idea that what we're trying to do is sort of figure out a way to let the market do it, but, but sort of say, look, markets are one of the tools we have to try and promote the, the sense of the public interest that, that we want to promote, uh, and that, that, that public interest obligation is a broad one, and, and together it seems to me these two ideas, you know, give regulators a, a, a way of thinking about promoting decarbonization. I think that's right. I mean, I think in some ways we are lucky to have different sorts of regimes out there that we can experiment with, and it may be that the market-based approach emerges as the, the best path forward. I don't know. I really don't. I mean, I think in some ways some of these markets may be going back to forms of re-regulation as more states get engaged in trying to subsidize certain types of resources and create other types of credit programs that are, would operate alongside these markets to, to provide additional revenues to certain resources that are in some ways a reaction to the problem of lower and lower prices uh, in the current markets. I think we should also recognize that the pricing structures in these markets aren't fixed in stone either and that we can adjust those and we are adjusting those in various ways and there's no one right way to do it. There's no pure market design that we can ultimately get to at the end of the day. I also think there's a broader point here too about the way we've thought about competition and here I think Brandeis is actually very relevant because Brandeis had he, he was very committed to the what he called the intelligence of competition or the quality of competition, and he believed that competition could be channeled in different ways, that it was a tool, right, not an end state. And I think economists have tended to think of it as an end state. We want competitive markets. If the market structure is competitive, then we can walk away because the market will do a better job than regulation. And I think Brandeis had a more nuanced approach, and part of this comes from a lot of his experience with railroad regulation and utilities and understood that competition can be channeled in different ways. It can be channeled in ways that lead to predation. It can be channeled in ways that lead to very positive outcomes. And the real task, it seems to me, for electricity regulation, and particularly in the markets, is how are we going to channel competition, right, in a way that will get us toward the ends that we have collectively, politically decided to embrace. Yeah, the balance between those three factors. Exactly. Those three factors. Security and environment, yeah. I guess my point is that what this has done is it has brought to the surface a whole bunch of questions about politics and what subsidies are permissible and which ones are not permissible. Uh, and it's going to force, it is forcing that question within the RTOs. And one way to think about this is that there are a whole bunch now of out-of-market subsidies and supports that are being created by the states, which they are perfectly entitled to create because of the structure of federalism under the Federal Power Act and their control over the mix of generation. And that, that is obviously having an additional kind of distortionary, if you want to think of it that way, or price-suppressing effect in some of the markets, which is then leading other generators inside the markets to look for new in-market products or ways to value certain types of attributes in the markets that will provide them additional revenues. I don't see a way out of this. I mean, I think now the genie is out of the bottle, and I don't see how you unwind this. And I think it goes back to the way in which we've been conceiving of markets from the beginning as things that can be isolated and made pure. And I think that's kind of a Hayekian conception of markets, and I think it's wrong. And I think, you know, as, as brilliant as Hayek's insights were about the knowledge problems in the economy, I think we need to recognize that markets are, as the realists point out, political. And that ultimately, you know, when we are building and designing markets, we are now seeing that in real time in a way that perhaps we didn't see with other kinds of markets going forward. What this all means for the green energy or the clean energy transition, I mean, it, again, I think it throws it back to politics. 
Great. Well, thanks for talking to us. Thank you.